Welcome to my monthly podcast series titled Becoming a Sage. My name is Jan Freed, but you can call me Dr. Jan. I blog about leading, living, and saging, or positive aging. I'm passionate about helping people get from where they are to where they want to be, particularly in the second half of life. I also say I'm out to retire the word retirement. We are not retiring, but moving on to something else. And I believe it takes time and intentional thought to successfully move on to what's next in life. Today I'm interviewing Dr. Connie Zweig, known as the Shadow Expert. Uh, she's the co-author of Meeting the Shadow and Romancing the Shadow and author of Meeting the Shadow of Spirituality, as well as a novel, A Moth to the Flame, The Life of Sufi Poet, poet Rumi. She recently retired after 25 years in private practice as a therapist in Los Angeles. She's currently writing The Reinvention of Age, which extends her work on the shadow into late life and guides baby boomers to reimagine and reinvent ourselves from the inside out. Connie blogs about these topics. For more information on Connie, please refer to the bio attached to this podcast. Well, welcome to the series, Connie. Thank you, Jan. I appreciate the invitation. You know, I've listened to several of your podcasts. I really, truly love your blog. Um, I'm, I read your articles in Next Avenue, and, and I met you at the Saging International Conference in Minneapolis this past October, and it was just uh, so, such an honor because the shadow is a concept that I'd like to know more about, learn more about, and uh, was actually introduced to it when I was working on my leadership Leading with Wisdom book. So, um Anyway, I just enjoy all the work that you contribute to the world. So thank you. Um, Well, just a few questions, and uh, here we go. Tell tell my listeners, why did you take the year-long training to become a certified sage and leader? I mean, I'm also one, but I'd love to know why why did you do that? I mean, it, it is kind of an extensive training program, especially since you're already a therapist. Yeah, you know, it's a really good question. In my late 60s, I noticed that I started to feel restless and um, started to ask myself all kinds of questions. And from doing shadow work for so long, I'm really used to attuning to my inner dialogue rather than distracting myself or ignoring it. So. As I started listening, I could hear these voices, different voices saying, you know, maybe I should change my life. Maybe I should do more. Maybe I should do less. Maybe I should slow down. Maybe I should take on another project. Maybe I should. And I began to realize that there were different parts of myself needing different things and really longing for changes in different ways. And so I just listened and waited for a while. The obvious response to that internal restlessness is to retire from a career in your late 60s. So that came up for me as a possibility. I had been um, doing therapy for 30 years by then. And so I began to contemplate that. But then the key... um, the key internal comment arose, and that was, you need an initiation. And when I heard that, I needed more than change from the outside in. 
I needed more than change in what I was doing. I needed an internal shift. So I began reading and exploring um, about late life and all of the current work about conscious aging, and I came upon Rabbi Zalman Schachter's old book, From Aging to Saging. Mm -hmm. And I had read it in my 50s, and it didn't speak to me. But in my late 60s, it was perfect. And it pointed the way toward the inner work of late life and how I might extend my own psychological and spiritual work, which I'd been doing for so long, into this period, of, into this stage of life. So um, I signed up for the training and recognized that part of this restlessness was about becoming an elder and not really knowing what that was about and not having any guides and not having any friends who were really framing it that way. And I was kind of on my own in this process. My husband was not feeling the same thing. And um, so I'm really glad that I found the Saging community. It's been very supportive and very kind of orienting for me mm-hmm. to this time. Well, I want to I follow that question up with, you know, I, I too often use the term inner work, you know, inner work of aging and internal work. And most people do not really understand what I'm talking about. So um, then I describe it, but I'd love to hear you describe what's involved in the inner work that you think is critically important. Well, for me... Um... You know, Meeting the Shadow was published in 1989. So for me, this has been, and I started meditation practice when I was 19. So I've been doing psychological and spiritual work my whole adult life. So for me, it means orienting to the unconscious, orienting, like I just described to you, those voices that were coming up. Mm-hmm. They were not sort of conscious, rational voices that I was, that I was creating. They were spontaneous, emerging voices from a deeper part of myself. So the shadow is that part of us, which um, Jung coined the term, the shadow, for that part of us that is beneath conscious awareness. You could call it the personal unconscious. It's the part of us that's usually in our blind spot. And once you start attuning to that, a whole other world opens up. So since I'd been doing that for so long in other contexts, I wanted to learn how to do that in the context of aging. And I also wanted to learn how to extend my spiritual practices into the context of aging. Because part of, now now I'm 70, part of this time of life is about preparing for death. So what does that mean about my spiritual practices? And that's what I came to call reinventing age from the inside out. So it's not so much about how do I look or what's a new meaning of success or what's an encore career or um, what more do I need to do to feel good about myself. That's kind of all about the hero's journey, the midlife heroic time, this time has different tasks. And for me, one of the major tasks 
is finding the inner work that's right for each of us at this time. You know, for some people, that means repairing relationships. It means kind of returning to old wounds and speaking to people about what might have happened between us and asking for forgiveness or giving forgiveness. For other people, it might mean uh, doing a life review and coming to terms with how the events and the people of our lives unfolded so that we can um, approach the end of our lives in a way that feels complete. Mm-hmm. Um, I think So I think inner work has different meanings for different people or it has different um, tasks associated with it, depending on who we are. Um, for some people, it's about how we deal with illness. For other people, it's about how we deal with retirement. Mm -hmm. Um, For other people, it's about our marriage um, and coming to terms with the limitations of all that we have. So um, I think, you know, inner work is kind of a general term. What I found from doing saging was a beautiful body of work that can be applied by anyone at their own level of development and with their own content, with their own life experience. That's what I liked about it. It wasn't a bunch of content being dumped on me. Mm -hmm. It was a a framework that I could apply from my own life experience. But what I also found is that it was missing this ingredient of the unconscious, the shadow. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized I needed to write about it. I needed to add this new dimension of shadow work to the inner work of aging. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what the new book is about. Yeah. When will the new book be published? When do you, when are you expecting it? I don't, I don't have a date yet. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I was going to promote it. I was going to help promote it. Um, Now you briefly described this, but you truly are known as, you know, the shadow expert or definitely one of them. Um, describe in more detail, because I don't think, and why it's important to understand and do our own shadow work. I mean, I really want to explore this because honestly, Connie, I've done some reading on this and I get it, but I don't get it. (laughs) So even myself, I think it's really important to understand. Well, I like this metaphor. The shadow is like a dark room in which our images and our dreams and our associations lie dormant. And shadow work is the process of development of those images and dreams. It's about bringing them into awareness, into the light of awareness. So let's talk about that in the context of age. So if we have, and I'm not saying if, since all of us have unconscious associations to aging, Unconscious images, um, maybe um, relatives that we saw when we were growing up who were in old age or uh, people we saw on the street or things we read about um, or the whole sort of general ageism in the culture and the way that it treats older people. That what that does is it 
it results in each of us having internal associations with growing old that we may not be aware of. And for most people, they're very loaded with a negative charge, a negative feeling, and they become loaded with dread and fear and anxiety. Mm -hmm. One fear might be the fear of death, but there's also the fear of decline, fear of memory loss. Mm -hmm. Hold on, I have to take a, I have to take a drink. Hold on. So those um, feelings and images in the shadow affect how we age. Definitely. And there's lots of yeah, and there's lots of research now out of Yale University that it acts that these images actually affect our physical health, they affect our brain health, they affect our emotional attitudes about late life. And they might actually stop us from fulfilling the promises, all of the potentials of this time of life, because we aren't aware of them. Because they're unconscious to us, all these negative feelings and stories that we tell ourselves, we deny them. So we're in denial of this part of ourselves. I call it the inner ageist. This, this part of ourselves that is not accepting who we are now. And without that self-acceptance, we really, we can't thrive. We can't make good choices. Mm -hmm. And we don't even choose self-care because we're in denial that we need it. I'm just getting over a cold, so I'm going to get a cough drop. Hold on. So, from my point of view, it's really important that we become aware of our own stories and our own feelings about growing older so that we can come to terms with them and um, align with the reality that we're experiencing rather than deny it or distract ourselves, which is so epidemic now. You know, I had one person I, I interviewed, she likes the term realistic aging, you know, uh -huh. to, to really make sure that we are, re it's not, because for some people it may not be so positive, but if it's realistic, we are, we're not in denial. We're at least, you know, being honest about where we are, you know? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of a grounded term, which for me doesn't include all the potential. I mean, there's huge promise for this time of life. And I don't mean the promise of sort of heroic feats. I mean more the promise of inner work. Mm -hmm. The promise of life completion, the promise of spiritual gains. <clears throat> So for my book, I've interviewed all these spiritual teachers from different traditions. And they've all talked about how each of their traditions describes the period of late life as the period for developing our spiritual capacity. Mm -hmm. In every culture, that's really been the teaching. 
in the mystical traditions. Mm-hmm. So, so realistic is kind of grounded in the sense that it's not denial, but it doesn't sort of also hold all the possibilities. What's the term you prefer? Um, the subtitle to my book is How to Cross Over from Role to Soul. Mm-hmm. So what I'm exploring is how to change our internal identity, you know, from identification mm-hmm. with the mind and the body and from identifying with the limitations that we come up against as we age to begin to move into a more spiritual level of development in which we identify with being a soul. Mm-hmm. I think that's powerful, so Connie. Yeah, and I, don't, and I think it's really possible, and I know people who are doing this, and it doesn't, I can't really encapsulate it in one word. Mm-hmm. No, I, I like that very much. I think that's very Thank powerful. You. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is, in, in your opinion, you know, what's the difference between growing old and becoming an elder? Well, I think that's exactly what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. The you inner know, work. That with, yeah, that without that, without that internal GPS, yeah, um, without that North Star, whatever we call it, you know, some people call it purpose, but that tends to get externalized. Um, without an inner purpose, I think that um, <clears throat> people buy into <clears throat> the cultural norm of aging and become depressed. Right. So many people become depressed. They feel lost and disoriented. They feel um, isolated. That's a really big issue. Yes, it is. Um, and purposeless. And with all of the age segregation in housing now, there's not a lot of juice from younger people or mentoring from older people. Right. So, so they age without all of this um, growth that we're talking about. And so <clears throat> for me, there are many levels to being an elder. But the first kind of basic level of becoming an elder is becoming aware of these things that we're talking about. Right. Becoming aware of, of the developmental task of this period of life between 60 and frail old age. What are our tasks? And some of them <clears throat> may be social and some of them may be creative and, you know, some of them may be work. But there are also these internal tasks, and I think without a connection to them, we can't really become an elder. Mm-hmm. Without doing a life review and really understanding what our lives have been about <clears throat> and really looking at what we've learned that we want to transmit to future generations, then we're not an elder. Mm-hmm. Um. And then there are stages beyond that of spiritual development. Um, So many of the spiritual elders I've been talking to 
<clears throat> who've been doing contemplative practice of different kinds um, are describing what it means to become a spiritual elder and what the responsibilities of that position are. So I think there are different levels of kind of, of, of eldering. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I did not become a mother, Jan, but I'm a grandmother because I married a guy with kids. Mm-hmm. And I, as a grandmother, I'm very aware of what I want to pass on to these four little ones. And I'm really feeling like an elder in the family now. And my stepdaughter said to me, I want to be like you when I'm old. And that kind of blew my mind. That's a nice but compliment. I yeah. I was really surprised, but I recognized that she's having an experience that I didn't have. She's having an experience of an elder in the family who is, you know, bringing all of my life experience to the moment with younger people and really having the intention to transmit what I can about how the world works, you know, about how the world works, about how families work, about, I mean, this weekend we're going to take them to the movie The Biggest Little Farm so we can talk about the land and the animals and, they're not going to get that with their parents, so we're going to do that with them. So that's one kind of elder. Um, and I think there's many kinds of elders as there are people. Sure. Everybody's going to do it differently. You know, everyone's yeah. going to do it differently. Yeah. Well, I'm very fascinated. I mean, this is very powerful, I think, in terms of you know, passing on and, and playing that legacy role and that elder. Can you share some more you know, specific examples of how you're doing that with grandchildren? I mean, I think that's really important. Um, Anything that come to mind? I mean, and it can be very little things, but they're probably things that my listeners have not thought of. Well, my husband and I are looking at what we can offer these kids that they won't get from their parents or their schools. So that's part of what we're doing. Um, three of them are boys, and I take a lot of time to ask them about their feelings. I don't think they're getting that at home. And so I'm kind of teaching them that it's safe to express what they feel in the moment, that if they get angry, <clears throat> they can use words for it. I mean, this is the therapist part of me. Um, and so there's that that's going on. We're also trying to, we're taking them to museums. One of them who's seven loves to draw. And we're going to museums. Yes. Which they've never done with their kids. And we're talking about art and all that. Um, <clears throat> one of them loves music and we bought him a keyboard. And trying to get his parents to get him keyboard lessons. Um, One of them, you know, a lot of kids play the question game. Why is the sky blue and all that? So the other day he was saying to me, um, where does grass come from? 
And I was able to give him the water cycle, how the water comes down from the mountains and how the whole thing of the water cycle and how the water is in his body. And his eyes were just popping out of his head because he was having this experience in the moment of everything being connected. Mm -hmm. Being connected through water. And I think that that, you know, that's kind of a spiritual insight of the interconnectedness of all of life. And I know that at seven years old, he's not going to hold on to that. I mean, it's long gone by now. But he had a moment in which he saw the interconnectedness of everything. And that was important for me. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like that was a gift I was able to give. Mm-hmm. No, I think yeah. that's wonderful. I really do. Actually, I just, had, I just blogged. The title of the article is, why workplaces would benefit if men had more friends. <laughs> and the uh-huh. whole idea of how, you know, and actually this is kind of trending now, this whole idea of toxic masculinity, you know, that men need to be more vulnerable and need to be more emotionally intelligent and, and all of that. And, you yeah. know, helping uh-huh. your male grandchildren learn that at a young age, they will benefit the rest of their lives. Right. That's my hope. Yep, exactly. Well, Connie, this is so interesting. We're, our time is kind of coming to a close. You know, I, I want to ask you that, you know, based on your expertise and experience, what else should I have asked you that our listeners need to know to make the rest of life the best of life? Um, or it could be something if you want to kind of give us some of the big ahas <laughs> from your book or, you know, whatever you think we need to know and I maybe didn't ask. You know, I'm really writing for baby boomers, for okay. our generation. And um, our generation had a very unique formative experience. And part of it was political activism. And that didn't include everybody, you know, not everyone protested the Vietnam War and everything. But there is a, a part of us that has been socially and politically engaged for most of our lives. And even no matter whether we're progressive or conservative. And um, I think part of our task now in late life is to engage politically. And for me, especially around climate change, this is my passion. Mm So there are many groups out there like Elders Action Network and all kinds of groups that are um, bringing together elders for political engagement. Um, More than half of us voted for Trump in the 2016 election. We don't, there are a lot of reasons why that happened, the disillusionment and the disenfranchisement of people. But a lot of those people are so discouraged with Trump now that they're looking for somewhere to go. And progressives, on the other hand, have, um, you know, a lot of groups that they could engage in, that they could engage with. So my, you know, sort of last comment would be, Aside from the inner work, 
see if you can find a passion in the world where your where the wisdom of your life experience could make a difference. I just did a, a call with the youth leaders of all the different climate groups, and they were so inspiring. But what I realized was they don't have elders advising them, and they're making some of the same mistakes that we made because there isn't enough intergenerational exchange going on. So if that interests you, our listeners, that's really a place to put your energy. Excellent. Well, Connie, you've given us much to think about and much to learn about. Um, This series is on learning how to make the rest of life the best of life. And you've just really, you know, I can't wait for your book to come out. Thank you. Um, But you're doing such great, important work. And it's very inspiring, and it keeps me going. And um, so I just want to thank you again. Thank you, Jan. I really appreciate the invitation. I hope that people will tune into my blog on Medium and stay connected. Or on Facebook, whatever way works for you. Right. And I really, as I said, I love all the writing that you're doing, whether it's on your blog or for Next Avenue or whatever. Thank you. Okay, Connie, thank you. Take care. Good wishes to all. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.